probably the first Sunday that, that I've had to remove a lighter from the lectern before preaching. <laughs> Church plants, right? So in the second year of the reign of President Donald Trump, with Mark Dayton being governor of the state of Minnesota, and Jacob Frey, the mayor of the city of Minneapolis, and Melvin Carter, the mayor of the city of St. Paul, and Jeremy Schroeder, the councilman of South Minneapolis. You know, starting in this way places the story within a very particular moment, right? As soon as I start saying those names, you know this is 2018 that I'm talking about. So likewise, when Luke the historian begins to tell us about the ministry of John the Baptist by listing political leaders, we know that John's ministry began around 28 AD. You see, Luke the historian is giving us a very clear date right now. But that's not it. That's not all, I mean. There is much more, this is much more than just a, a mere ancient calendar that Luke is giving us. Luke is telling us that the nation right now is in political turmoil, right? Now, it's kind of funny that as soon as I started reading the list, right, there, there was snickering that happened in the room, right? And I was totally anticipating that, you know? You, you feel the anxiety that's in the room as soon as you start hearing these names being listed. And it doesn't matter if you vote more red or if you vote more blue. The people who you voted for uh, or didn't vote for, like this list sort of evokes that anxiety, right? Now, some of you, is, as you heard some of those names, you might think, oh man, some of these people are absolute ideological tyrants, you know? Or maybe you hear some names and you're like, oh, that's a co-laborer of justice. I am with that person. I don't know what sort of feelings came up, but my guess is that's not a list that you 100% align with one way or another, right? Or maybe it is, I don't know. Well, the Jews in John's day, they also knew a thing about political turmoil, right? And here in this list from, from Luke's gospel that we just read are quite a few uh, representatives of political turmoil, Luke isn't just giving us a date. He's stirring up the anxiety. He's, he's telling us that this is kind of a crazy moment in which John's message began. We hear of Emperor uh, Tiberius, who was absolutely ruthless, and in some parts of the Roman world was already being worshipped as a god. We also hear of Herod's two great sons, uh, who he left behind, Herod Antipas and, and Philip, who selfishly squeeze out as, much, as many resources as they can from the people, sort of clinging on to power before they know it's probably going to evaporate before them and at any moment. We hear of other tetrarchs who are also enforcers of Roman rule in the land. And then we hear the name of two high priests here, which, let's be honest, they're not any better. Guys, welcome back. <laughs> the, the two high priests aren't any better, Right? These guys sort of remind uh, his readers of, of the past, the glorious past that, that the Jewish nation used to have, right? But now the high priests are simply burdening the people with vain and empty ritual. This is not a pretty moment. So uh, one of the traditions in my household uh, growing up when we were uh, feeling particularly religious around Christmas time is that my dad would read the Christmas story to us before opening presents which is kind of like torture for a 10-year-old, right? Like, oh my goodness. But I remember hearing these names, the story being read, 
And I had no idea who these, who these men are. But I just figured, wow, these must be like really important people. They must be truly amazing, truly great, right? And so Jesus, he's going to be also great along with these guys, right? These are going to be just an awesome, this is going to be a, an awesome story that we're about to hear. You know, and like, but now I, I, I hear this and I can't help but like hear like Bing Crosby playing in the background and like bacon being prepared. Because I just have these like weird memories of listening to this before we open Christmas presents, right? But this is not a beautiful romantic moment. This is not the kind of thing that you would normally want to talk about before you open Christmas presents. Luke is reminding his readers that this is the pinnacle of Jewish oppression. And unfortunately, this isn't any sort of new situation for the Jews. They have been waiting a long time for change. They are used to political oppression. And this statement is merely stirring that up for them. Now, Advent is a season of yearning, right? I talked about that last week a little bit. But it's not always easy to, to sit in this sort of feeling of yearning. It's not, it's not a comfortable feeling that we have. But Advent is meant to tune our ears and our hearts to hear the voice of God. It calls us to pause and to make sure that we're listening, that we're hungering for God. So I have a friend who I had coffee with a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me about this, this skin disease that he has. It's really unfortunate. He's had his whole entire life, and it seemed that the older he was getting, the, the worse that it would become, and it would make his skin just incredibly itchy. And he was feeling bad because he would have to, you know, cancel social plans at the last minute. Uh, and it just seemed, like I said, the older that he got, the worse it would become. Well, he was doing some research, and of all places on, on Reddit, right? So when you have medical problems, I guess, I guess that's a great place to go. Uh, so he, he went there and he found other people who were experiencing the same things that he was experiencing. And he actually learned about some folks who had found a really good new medicine that had actually brought some relief. And so then he went through a season of, of battling with insurance. You know, you know how it goes, right? You're trying to get them to, to cover this stuff. And eventually it was approved. And he was waiting and waiting for the cure to come. And sure enough, finally, after this longing, and longing that really went further back than just finding out about these pills, right, his entire life, after all of this yearning, they finally arrive. And he told me, he was like, my skin is brand new. He was like, it, it feels as if I've got baby skin now, you know? And he was so excited. It was such a fun, encouraging meeting, right? Well, the Jewish people know what it's like to be sick. For hundreds and hundreds of years, they've been occupied by these foreign nations. They've been taken away into captivity, and some of them have been able to come back, but it's still not what it used to be. The temple at one point was destroyed. The temple was then rebuilt, but again, it wasn't quite what it used to be. God's glory hadn't quite returned. The Jews had gone through so many like political, civil wars and all this sort of stuff. It's just a, a mess. And even in, in this day, there were so many different religious factions arguing over what sort of future would be coming. But this thing is true. They knew that a cure was on the way. They knew that a cure was in the mail, was being delivered. But they had somehow forgotten about this, right? So like I said, they're no strangers to yearning. So the prophets... They insisted that a cure was coming. They insisted that a day was coming in which the Lord God himself 
would come and be with the people. And we had the uh, fun experience of hearing some of these words being read this morning. Luke, uh, in, in the gospel reading, quotes a passage from Isaiah, which says this, in anticipation of the Lord coming. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked ways will become straight and the rough places will become level and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Doesn't that sound amazing? And then Malachi, the final prophet of the Old Testament, says this in verse three. He says that the Lord will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, that is the priests, and he will refine them like gold and silver. And they will then be able to bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then in verse 5, he says, Now against those who oppress the hired, or the Lord will be against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages. The Lord will be for the widow and the fatherless, and against those who, who thrust aside the sojourner. So these are many, many, many words like this. We're just anticipating the arrival of the Lord God himself to bring justice and peace to the land. But sometimes we, we also forget about the silence that immediately followed that, right? So for 400 years after Malachi, the final prophet, there were no more prophets that came to the nation of Israel. It was absolutely silent. And we totally forget about that because, you know, we, we, we read Malachi and then we can just turn the page. It's like, oh, Jesus, like, great, that's amazing. But no, this is 400 years of anticipation and waiting. Can you imagine how that shaped the generations and generations of Jewish people? It's no wonder that they have this cure in mind, but now they're asking, has God forgotten about us? Has God forgotten about us? You see, their yearning had turned into a long and painful wait. And so that brings us back to Luke chapter 3. Under the reign of Tiberius and Herod, that is about 28 A.D., even though the Jews are back in the land from their exile, they were still in a political and spiritual exile, and they're yearning for the world to be made right. And then the silence is broken. Do you hear that phrase in, the, in, the, in Luke that we read? Sort of the second half of verse 2. During all of this time, during all of these leaders, the word of God came. The word of God actually came the son of John. Here it is. The word of God came to, to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And then he's quoting from Isaiah, which speaks of a voice crying out in the wilderness. Now, today, we don't really understand what that phrase means, and we actually use it in the complete opposite way that it's meant. So in today's sort of language, when we talk about a voice crying out in the wilderness, what do we mean by that? Well, we kind of mean like, oh, that's someone who's, who's crying out and no one's really listening to him, you know. Poor guy, like no one wants to listen to this, this strong, passionate voice out in the wilderness. That's not what this means, right? That is a, a wrong interpretation. John the Baptist is not a failed prophet. He had entire crowds that went out to him. They wanted to hear from him. You see, a voice in the wilderness is a message of hope because the wilderness is what you must go through after your exile. After slavery, the Jews went through the wilderness before they arrived to the promised land. In the wilderness, they were led by a cloud of God's presence. In the wilderness, God fed them with quail and manna. You see, the wilderness is a place of renewal. 
of promises being fulfilled and rejuvenation. People reading this passage would have thought, a new exodus is underway. God is coming. And that's exactly what John's message is, right? A king is coming. Prepare the roads. Get everything ready so that he has no friction in getting here. Make it as smooth and easy as possible for him to get here. So I once did a trip in Kazakhstan, and it was, it was really weird to me because some of the roads would be paved, and then you'd go like one block over, and the homes and the buildings were all the same, but that road probably wasn't paved. So I remember asking one of my friends, like, why is, why is this road paved and this road not paved? And he says, oh, well, th- these are the roads that the president likes to use. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. I get it. And that's, that's what's going on here, right? The king, the ruler, is coming to town, And so the prophet is talking about getting all the paths straight. And it's not just the king who's coming. He's bringing an entire army with him, right? So raise up the valleys, low down the mountains and the hills so that a great army can come through. Can you imagine the energy that would have been surrounding John the Baptist's ministry? It's no wonder that great crowds came to hear him preach and teach. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is a big deal. So John is preaching and the people are preparing for the arrival of the king. So if we were to keep flipping the pages through the gospel of Luke, kind of see how the, how the story continues. And if we were to look at some of the other gospels and see how the, how the story of Jesus' arrival and his teaching, how that sort of unfolds, we would know that it wasn't quite the way that we expected it, right? Jesus didn't come with a a scepter in his hand. He, He wasn't, you know, banishing the Romans out. You see, a lot of people actually didn't understand the kingdom and the shape of that kingdom and the form of that kingdom that Jesus was bringing in. Many didn't see who Jesus is, and many couldn't hear that word. A lot of the disciples, they were confused about who Jesus is. You know, we kind of had a lot of fun passages this summer talking about some of the, the misconceptions that the disciples had. And John the Baptist himself, he even had his doubts, right? And there's another sermon in there, of course, about kind of the ups and downs of the Christian life and uh, doubting and whatnot. Well, the realization that the early church eventually came to, and it wasn't until actually Jesus' death and his resurrection, and I kind of guess when you see someone raising, rising from the dead, you, you sort of reassess a bunch of things at that point, right? But the audacity of the early church was to look at Jesus and see him as the fulfillment of all these prophetic words. Do you understand how, how remarkable that is, how audacious that is? They looked and saw all these amazing, huge, nation-sized, global prophecies being said. And they look at Jesus, this carpenter from Nazareth, a man who was crucified outside the temple gates as the fulfillment of all of this. They were to say, yes, the Lord did come to his temple, just as Malachi talks about. The Lord came to the table and he, over, he came, came to the temple and overturned temples. He scattered the corrupt money changers. He challenged the oppressive religious leaders, Right? He told the tax collectors to give back to the poor. Jesus honored the widow and the fatherless. If you reread Malachi, you can start thinking of all of these gospel stories that start coming to mind. 
And ultimately, it's Jesus who offered himself as a sacrifice to purify his people once and for all, therefore negating the need of the temple entirely. You see, God indeed did come and visit us. So my message for you today is actually pretty simple. It's just to say that God breaks the silence. God breaks the silence, and he visits his people. And this is a simple message, but my goodness, it's a profound one. It's one that we need to be that we need to hear ourselves in our own hearts, but we need to be able to say it to our neighbors and to our friends and to to our friends here in this room. God breaks the silence. You know, we look we look around the world and we see that Tiberius and Herod, they're still in power, right? We still have corrupt religious leaders. The mountains are still high, the valleys are still low. And I know that if we look around this room, we also see lots of yearning that's going on as well. Even in the last two weeks, I've heard stories from this room of, of estranged families that, that sort of need to be sorted out, unexpected news from doctors. We are no strangers to turmoil here in this room. But friends, take heart. Because when Christ came, when Christ resurrected and breathed his Holy Spirit upon the church and commissioned the church, he gave us a new sense. He gave us a new sense, a new ability, and you see the early church using that. We've already talked about it. They're able to read through the Old Testament and see Christ on every single page. They see the story of God, the story that God is building that culminates in Christ actually coming and visiting his people, making purification once and for all. God has given us this sense to see that grand master plan. And now, as people living today in 2018, we have that same sense. We, we look in the scriptures and see God there speaking to us, but also when we look in one another's lives and see in the way in which he's, he's moving in our own lives, we're supposed to speak into one another's lives and call that forth to recognize that. So last week was kind of a... Uh, an anxious week for us. I, I, I hope you all had a great time last week at the, at the potluck that followed the service and then the craft time. But like, that was a lot of work, right? And it was a lot of like preparation and, and we were feeling kind of anxious because we had done potlucks before and this is the first time we're gonna do this in here, you know, like how's this gonna go? And, you know, we're bringing a bunch of like baked items and, and glitter and, and wax and all that stuff into this room. We're like, oh my goodness, what are we, what are we signing up for? And at first glance, if, if, if friends of the community were to walk through and kind of peek into this room, it, it may have just looked like a bunch of people having good food and making some, some advent wreaths and stuff. But it was so much more than that. And I feel like each one of us who, were, who had the pleasure of being there, I, I hope you took something away from that, that experience. We saw uh, older folks caring for younger folks. We saw stories of scripture being told over here. And, and we talked about how the wreath itself is a, is a symbol of hope, right? Where we see that light kind of growing stronger week by week. And so folks who, who maybe your kids weren't even in here, but you were, you were sharing that love, you were sharing that wisdom into other kids in this community, right? You're showing them that they're loved by God and showing you were sort of being the Lord's presence to them. And some of you are exercising your gifts, logistically speaking, which we're incredibly grateful for, uh, which was amazing as well. 
Many of you brought some prized family recipes and turned this gymnasium just into a, a feast, into a celebration of, of heritage. And, and like I said, those, those um, wonderful recipes that you shared, especially that, um, that spicy soup that I think... Where are you sitting? All right. All right, too much... All right, I'll find you later, Sarah. Lipsay, you were just in here. Okay, yes, I liked your soup. Thank you. <laughs> that took way too long. But there were other fun things going on here as well, right? There were so many great conversations of, of newcomers speaking with folks who've been here for a long time. There was wisdom being poured into one another's lives. And there was also prayer that was taking place in the corners of the room, right? And like I said, it would have been easy to miss it. But there was soul work that was happening in this room last week. Now, my prayer is that Restoration Anglican Church would be a doorway into the kingdom of God. My prayer is that when people come in here, they would know that we are people who have encountered the presence of the king, that his kingdom is breaking forth here. You know, some of you remember hearing C.S. Lewis talk about thin places. That's my prayer for here. Don't be fooled by the fact that this is a gymnasium or that this is a community center and who knows what else is happening here throughout the week. Right now, this is a thin place where we get to encounter Christ through one another, through the scriptures, through the song, through the sacrament. We actually get to be with one another, anticipating Christ. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God, right? So how might you hear from God this morning? What are ways in which God can break the silence that's been going on in your own life right now? And I don't know what kind of silences are plaguing you, Maybe it's some of those issues that I mentioned earlier that are going on. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just an intimacy with the Lord that you're longing for. How might that be broken this year? Maybe that'll be broken within the context of a life group and just kind of hanging out with friends and hearing, hearing their thoughts in Scripture. Maybe it would be broken by even just coming up for communion and kind of feeling the Lord's presence with you through the bread and the wine. Or maybe it's through serving in some other sort of way outside of this church. I don't know. But my prayer for you is that you would know that God breaks the silence. That God wants to speak to you. So my prayer is that we prepare our hearts this Advent season, that we might hear more from the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Christ, it is easy to feel overwhelmed by all the turmoil and the trouble that is going on in this world. And Lord, it breaks our heart. We know that it breaks your heart as well, Lord, more so than we could ever imagine. And I pray, Lord, that you would come and visit us, not just this morning, but every, every Sunday and every uh, life group gathering and event that we do, Lord. I pray that you would break the silence, that we might hear from you. May your, vo vo your voice pierce through the turmoil and come and speak to us, Lord. We want to hear from you. We ask this Christ in your name and for your glory. Amen.